Well, well, well. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to A Coach's Perspective. I'm your host, Jenny Hopkins. We have a great show in store for you tonight. We are doing um, our Ethics in Sports series, and we are continuing that. And we've had coaches panels in here. We've had athletic directors. And this week, we have officials. So this is going to be exciting. Before we get to them, though, let's show some gratitude to our presenting sponsor. This show is presented to you by Great Southern Bank. Great Southern Bank is serious about convenience. With nearly 100 banking centers in six states, hundreds of ATMs and mobile and online banking services, you're always in touch with your money. Learn more at greatsouthernbank.com. Member FDIC. Thank you so much to Joe Turner and Kelly Polonis, all their teammates over at Great Southern Bank. We appreciate their involvement. Other sponsors you're going to hear about throughout the show, Highland Dairy, Craig Lehman with Shelter Insurance, Bill Grant Ford and Bolivar, Story Construction, West Logging, Greg and Melinda Burnett, and Springfield Yard Cards. All right, so before we get to our guests that are in the studio, last week we had athletic directors on. So in this series, we're presenting scenarios, and we are asking, what would you do? So to the coaches, we would present a situation or a moral dilemma, and how would you handle that decision? Last week, we presented those to athletic directors, and we had Mark Fisher and Brandon Clark on, and they did a tremendous job. Um, They answered some very difficult questions. Um, If you want to listen to that show, you can. And if you are a young athletic director or someone that is a maybe a coach or someone that aspires to be a director of athletics, I highly recommend you listen to that show. These are two veteran, veteran official, or excuse me, veteran athletic directors, and they did a tremendous job. You can go to a coachesperspective.com, listen to it under previous shows. It is also on Apple iTunes. Spotify, Verbal, and is now on Helium Satellite Radio. All of those under a coach's perspective. All right, so let's get right to our first segment here on our ethics and sports. I am very excited to have in the studio two veteran officials. They're not wearing their stripes, but they are—they have brought their, their stripes um, figuratively, and they are going to answer some of our questions, and we're going to look in some of these scenarios that we're going to put in front of them and see how they make their decisions. Officials make decisions, um, snap judgments all the time. They have to make split-second decisions, you know, in the moment. But we're going to talk a little bit about some of those that they do have to sit, step back and make a difficult decision, go through a process, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. So I want to first welcome to the show uh, Mike Dimbo. You've been on this show before, and I really appreciate you being here tonight. Thank you. It's good to be here. And also been on the show before. You were on one of my officials panels as well, Emery Dilday. Good to be here. Well, I'm happy to have both of you here again because of your experience, um, but also because of the way that you officiate and the way that officials view you. Um, you are very well respected. And so I think that um, one of the reasons I feel like you're so well respected is because you are very mindful. Um, you are very thoughtful in your decisions. Um, you're very professional. Um, you both have a lot of experience. So let's, I want to start off first, and I'm going to start with you, Mike. Um, tell me, what is your process in making decisions? Well, I, uh, you know, other than the experience, you know, we, we pregame uh, as a basketball official and even as softball officials uh, before each game. We get, we get together and talk about specific scenarios. If this happens, here's what we're going to do. 
um, if this doesn't happen. And so a lot of decision-making, not only knowing the rules and having experienced certain things on the court or on the field, is the pregame is very important. That, uh, mainly, if this scenario happens, here's what we're going to do. And so, as you said earlier, you, you know, we make decisions. I don't know that we make snap decisions. We make quick decisions. And, you know, we we live or die by that quick decision that we make. Um, and so that, for me, is processing the game. Last night I had uh, two basketball games, and I had an hour's drive uh, to sit and talk with my partner and go through scenarios. And so it's, it's just personal preparation, imagining certain things happening, and then lo and behold, it does happen. Oh, I've, I've already thought through that process, so here's my decision. So sometimes it's less instinct and more how prepared you are. Uh, yes. Yeah, yes. I like that. All right, Emery? Well, in the sport of football, you're, the pregame is very, very important because you're, you've either got anywhere from four to eight individuals, depending on the level of, the, of play. So having a pregame conference prior to every game is imperative uh, to make sure that you, you've talked about your coverages, how you're going to cover the play, all the different situations, because each position in football is unique to itself. Uh, in some of the other sports, like in basketball, you go from being lead and you go to trail and you rotate around. But in football, you're in one specific position for that game and you have to be able to interact with those other positions. So the pregame and getting yourself ready to go out there and work as a team is very, very important. I, w- I would agree. And I think, you know, with anything, whether it's a coach or an athlete or an athletic director, communication is the key. Um, being prepared is the key. You've got you've to make sure that um, you have a, a lot of scenarios already going through your mind. All right, so let's get to some of these, all right? Some of these, I have a couple that were actually sent in by some listeners, and I appreciate that. Others have been through research, and and, and these have happened um, in different states, maybe. Um, and I've, you know, obviously will not be bringing up any specific names or schools, but but these have actually happened. And so we're going to see how you all would um, how you would take take these. Let's start. Hey, let's start with an easy one, shall we? We all know that officials sometimes take a little bit of how shall we phrase this heat from the stands, right? Um, and that's that's part of it. You know that when you know that is not a secret. Um, you have to compartmentalize those. You have to be able to still stay focused. And and we've discussed, you know, how how that takes a lot of effort um, on this show. But what is uh, when is it that that it crosses the line where an official has to address someone in the stands? Well, in football, we're unique in that we're we're kind of away from the stands. So a lot of uh, a lot of that would uh, we wouldn't hear. And what little bit is muffled, and more often than not, you you can tune it out, and you just don't pay attention to it. And the more veteran officials have learned to do that, and they don't even hear it. Um, Now, if a fan, though, comes down, say, on the sideline and starts to really get disruptive, um, then it can be addressed. And usually the way to do it would be to halt the game and get get the home administrator and have that person removed. Um, that doesn't happen very often in the sport of football. It's it, very rare. Uh, and like I say, the the heckling that you get from the stands, uh, you just 
you just tune it out and don't pay attention to it. But the heckling from coaches, you really take to heart, right? No, well, I'm kidding. <laughs> coaches, Remember the we, name of this show? <laughs> in football, we <laughs> give the head coach a lot of latitude. Sure. We want that head coach to be able to talk to us. Now, sometimes we have problems with assistants, and that's real easily handled. If assistant is getting out of line to the point where maybe a penalty may be forthcoming, then all you need to do is get to that head coach and let him know that this assistant needs to be dealt with, and generally that takes care of it. Right. It doesn't happen very often. Right. Anything to add to that? You know, and, and football is a little different because you're kind of you're further from the stands. Oh, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Basketball, Mike, they are right there. <laughs> there is no yeah. denying um, some of the things that you hear, and you can tune it out for so long. But when does it get to that point where you're like, "That's it. We're 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 going to do something about this." I uh, yes, in basketball and and in softball, even is especially if you're a home plate umpire and you're you got people who stand right behind the backstop and they're filming every pitch and they're talking about every pitch. So you, as you said, you do hear everything. Uh, what I do personally is my years of experience. It just said, I, I I've got to tune out uh, what's happening in the stands until it gets personal and still they, uh, you know, either use vulgarity or they're attacking a player uh, personally by name, by number, uh, making fun of him or whatever, uh, or if they're, uh, you know, questioning my ancestry, uh, you know, <laughs> then it gets personal. Um, but until then, uh, the fans can be annoying, but annoying is no reason to have them ejected or have them uh, addressed or person. Uh, I don't turn and look at anyone in the stands. I don't acknowledge that they said anything. Until, as, as the question was, at what point, when it becomes personal or they are attacking a player on the court uh, for whatever physical appearances or skills or abilities, and they make it personal, um, then we've been instructed by our assigner uh, that we go, as uh, Emory said, we, we get an administrator. We don't, or I don't, approach that fan. Uh, I let the administrator take care of it. Haven't you ever wanted to turn around, though, and say something? I'm sure you've had some great zingers in the back of your mind that you would love to be able to, because it's always a one-way conversation. I have spent <laughs> enough years with Mark Fisher that I I have heard more one-liners and zingers, but I can't use them. Right, <laughs> I can't right. use them. So uh, you just go on. And I can honestly say, uh, Coach, I can honestly say when, when I get done with a game and I can't remember what anybody said i was so focused on the game i can tell you that was that was i had a good game sure uh but when i go back into the locker room at halftime or after the game me and a partner were talking and it's like did you hear this and did you hear that it's like uh, my focus wasn't on the floor right. as much as it should have been and so those games that that i i'm able to just move on and not listen and not eat not hear it that's when I have my best games because you go down the floor and you keep thinking about what yeah. so-and-so just said down there. Well, you're not focused on the game if you're thinking about a fan. And that's exactly what coaches tell their players. You you cannot listen to the stands. You've got to stay focused. You've got to be paying attention. You've got to be inside the lines. That's something that's very important, and it's the same thing with the officials. And and, and a lot of times, honestly, the fans, if you're, you know, if you're listening, you're not helping the situation because you are – 
you're you're distracting the officials so that they cannot be at the top of their game. And so, yeah, just zip it unless it's positive and encouraging. Is <laughs> <It's laughs> the whole right. world? Well, we find with officials sometimes it, it's easy to let's say you've made a call, and then you kind of start self doubt. And as the game goes on, you can't let that bother you. You've got to continue to stay focused on the game at hand. Now, if you want to go back and review that later and look at film after the fact, that's fine. But uh, you've made a call. You can't allow yourself to second-guess yourself as you go on. Uh, right. Because then, like- it, then you're, you're liable to make mistakes moving forward. So you've got to just – you just got to tone that out, and then if you want to go back and review for self-study and say, did I make the right call? Was I in the right position? And try to look at as much film and that type thing and go from there. That's a great point. Last week I had a game uh, with a Hall of Fame coach. He's still coaching. And he, I, I don't know, he's like six, 700 victories. He's in the Hall of Fame. And he questioned a player control foul that I had. And, you know, he – he, he didn't yell at me. He, he addressed me properly. But like Coach said here, I've backed down, down the floor a couple of times. I'm like, that's a Hall of Fame coach. Did I really get that right? And I had to catch myself and go, right or wrong, I've got to move on to the game here. Uh, and then we talked about it after the game. Very friendly guy. And uh, But I, it crossed my mind. Wow, I'm, that's a Hall of Fame coach, and he's questioning my call. I, I better double-check that one in my <laughs> Well, and that attitude parallels, again, what coaches are trying to tell players. If you make a mistake, go next play. We can watch the film later and learn from it, but go next play. You've got to release it. There's no more control, nothing else you can do about it. you got to go next play. All right, um, so what we've got to do is go to our, our, our next break, and so we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we will continue here with Emery Dilday and Mike Dimbo on our Ethics in Sports series. They are our officials panels. We'll be right back here on A Coach's Perspective. Thank you again to Great Southern Bank for being our presenting sponsor. Welcome back to a coach's perspective. This is Jenny Hopkins. I have Emery Dilday here and Mike Dimbo. And we are doing a series on ethics in sports. And we're presenting scenarios to officials this week. And I want to thank Highland Dairy for sponsoring this segment. They are owned by dairy farmers. and They've been providing a great selection of nutritious dairy products since 1938. It's a proven fact from scientific studies, professional dietitians, that the ideal sports beverage recovery drink available to athletes after workout is chocolate milk and Highland Dairy has the best tasting chocolate and they're a proud sponsor of a coach's perspective. All right, so we're going to get jump right into our next uh our next situation and see what what you would do. This actually happened um north of here in Nebraska the day after a game. Day after a game, you get on Twitter, you are scrolling through and you see a tweet from a member, a crew member that you worked with the night before. The previous night, and he was bashing the losing coach on Twitter, saying how he should focus more on coaching than yelling at the officials. So this was someone you worked with the night before. Um, How do you handle that situation? The game's already over. 
but he unethically is bashing a coach on Twitter. Well, first of all, you're exactly right. It's very, very unethical. Um, and in a in football officiating on the varsity level, you're in a crew. And so that would be a time when you would want to meet with that official and there's a good possibility he would be relieved from your crew. Uh, there's no there's no room for that for officials to uh, it's not the place of an official to judge or to do anything about coaches. That's not their job. Uh, we're there to adjudicate the game, to keep it played fairly. And any opinions that we might have about a about a particular coach, those need to be kept to ourselves. Uh, That's I'm not good to advice. say that <laughs> going home and from a game, we might talk about the behavior of a coach, but beyond that, uh, anything public would be highly unethical for an official to do, and I would be very disappointed uh, in any official, anybody in the the local association that I'm involved with i'd be very disappointed if Mm -hmm. official ever behaved that way anything to add to that mike no i I agree 100 percent. it's it's unethical it's a lack of integrity um if you have something to say that's uh, of that much importance um you know i i would ask if it happened on somebody on my crew and i was the r on that uh, it's like what what are you hoping to accomplish by doing this all you've done now is degrade our team. We are, we are a team as as officials, and so it may have your name on it, but everybody knows who was on that crew, and now you have taken us down and questioned our integrity. And so I I would have a firm talk with the person. Uh, and as Coach said, it is highly unethical to oh. to degrade. Now, if you want to get on and, and brag on a coach's sportsmanship and man the ingenuity that he had and the play that he ran, great. Uh, but no, we're we're not going to degrade a coach, uh, regardless of his behavior. That is, that is a direct reflection on you all. And, then, and this was a young official. Um, I'm not sure that official is going to be able to climb the ladder very quickly because that's another another reason. Um, that official was suspended for the rest of the season, um, did come back and officiate after that, but um, was suspended for the rest of the season. And I think it goes back to a little bit about um, coping skills, uh, a young official, and that conversation we talked about earlier that is always one way, and he wanted a chance to have a two-way conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes you snap, so it's human nature, but at the same time, you if you're going to go into um, officiating, You've got to be able to have the composure enough to, to take that heat, and that's that's part of it, and to keep the integrity of officiating, not cross those lines. Exactly. All right, let's go to the next one, okay? So you're officiating a heated rivalry game. I mean, it's heated. You've seen those rivalry games, and it is passionate, and the fans are, are all into it. You are the, the lead official or the referee. Uh, on an, an official that is on your crew – adamantly sees a call a certain way another official on your crew comes in and says no i had a better angle and i am adamantly sure this is the right call so two different views two different angles two different calls what do you do well in football the referee has got to make the ultimate decision and so as a referee i would want to Get both those officials together, uh, listen to what both of them say, 
and then determine which one we're going to go with. Um, you look at area of coverage, who had the primary coverage on that play, who had the better angle, um, who could had a better field of vision to see what happened, and and then you've got to make that decision, right, wrong, or indifference. You've got to make that decision at that time. You can't look at instant replay. We don't have that in high school like they do in the NFL and they do in college. So we we're not a we don't have that privilege. So we've got to make that decision, and uh, you hope you make the right decision based on the the information that each official gives you. And you just that's a good point. That's have to live with it. Yes, absolutely. And uh, similar in basketball, we pregame whether it's a two man crew or. A three-man crew. We one of our pregame emphasis that I go over is we call it our PCA, our pri- primary coverage area. And if we have a double whistle, we're going to get together, you know, and and say, "Here's what I saw. Here's what you saw." And if there's a question, if we can't agree on that, then we're going to yield to primary, um, regardless of what the other referee or official saw. Uh, but we pregame that. Uh, Guys that I work with know that when we get on the floor, if we have a double whistle um, and there's question after even after we discuss it, we're going with the primary uh, official that that's his primary coverage area. And that's an easy that's an easy tiebreaker, um, unless you see something differently, of course, from where from where your position stands. But I think that's a, that's an easy tiebreaker. That's fantastic. All right. So, what do you think, listeners? Are they doing a great job or what? I think we've got a we've got a great panel in here. We're going to take our next break and when we come back we'll continue with our ethics scenarios here in sports with our officiating panel. We have Mike Dimbo here and Emery Dilday. We'll be right back here on a coach's perspective. We also want to thank Highland Dairy again for sponsoring this segment and Greg and Melinda Burnett as they support local and thoughtful radio. Hey, Coach's Perspective. I'm Jenny Hopkins. I'm here with Emery Dilday and Mike Dimbo, our officials panel, as we are continuing our series on ethics in sports. You know, the, the coaches panels survived. The athletic directors panels, they survived. We're, we're, we're halfway there. I think this officials panel is probably going to survive as well. <laughs> Let's get to our next um, scenario. But we also want to thank um, Bill Grant Ford and Bolivar for sponsoring this segment. They know cars, they know trucks, they know SUVs, and they know service, and they know how to keep their customers happy and loyal. I've been one of them for over 25 years. Give Kelly Grant and Shane Rainey a call. They're going to take care of you. Call them at 417-326-7671. They'll do a coast-to-coast search, and they will find exactly what you want and bonus in your price range. We also want to thank West Logging for sponsoring this segment as well. Go to westlogging.com or find Danny West on Facebook. He'll give you a free consultation. All right, so we are talking some scenarios. Let's talk a little bit about um, a conflict of interest. This is a big one for officials. This is, um, you know, ethically, you want to call a big game and you want to be involved in that. Um, this is this is something, though, that if you have a conflict of interest, no matter how bad you want that game, um, sometimes you have to turn down those situations. So, for example, if you were an alum of that school, maybe it's been 30 years, but you still graduated from that school or you have family 
that work there or relatives that are playing. So tell us a little bit about how um, how conflict of interest is handled um, on an official standpoint. Well, in football, we before we make any assignments for varsity games, uh, our crews are put together and they sign a crew agreement form stating they want to be assigned as a crew for next year's season. And on the back of that form, we have them list any potential conflicts of interest because we may not, we as that are doing the assigning may not be aware that one of them's wife teaches at a certain school or they've got kids that go to a school or, or what have you. So we, we expect them to give us those conflicts of interest. And then we avoid assigning them games involving that school. Now, sometimes we pick up on a conflict of interest if we're aware of it, and we won't assign that crew to, to a game involving that school. Um, as far as how long you have to be graduated, uh, it's impossible uh, <laughs> to keep away those conflicts sometimes. Uh, if you've been out of, if you graduated, say, from Springfield Parkview, uh, and it's been 30 years, there's probably not a conflict of interest unless there's a more recent one. Um, and so probably, because no one at that school is going to remember you, and you're not going to know anybody at that school. So uh, there's a lot, of, uh, a, lot of, a lot of common sense goes into it, but we try to avoid those conflicts, and sometimes one of them will slip through, and then we're made aware of it, and and we make we make a note not to let it but at happen least there's again. some preventative measures right. taken to try to avoid right. those situations right. uh it's important i think for listeners to know that even misha sends out when we when we renew our uh membership to, to call specific uh, sports uh misha uh, asks us to fill out a conflict of interest form you know did you go to that school did your kids go to that school were you booster club president what what potential conflicts of interest uh, would there be? So Misha's doing their part of asking the officials to list those schools. But uh, I, I remember specifically a few years ago, I had an opportunity to uh, work through it. And when you go into a tournament, you don't know who's going to be in the finals. True. And uh, I'd worked the tournament, had a great tournament. Uh, teams were very good. And we get down, and I had been assigned the championship game. Well, it was between uh, the school that I was booster club president at a few years earlier and my son had played at a few years earlier. It had been several years. And uh, we talked to both coaches. Both coaches said, hey, we're fine. Uh, But I stepped aside from that because as an official, you're you're never going to win anyway. But when you have the potential of a conflict of interest there, uh, so I stepped aside, and another guy who had done the tournament came in and did the championship game. But as I think Emory, we we heard an illustration earlier off the air that uh, if something can happen, it will happen, and so uh, <laughs> they will find out. <laughs> we uh, we take uh, all kinds of precautions. Uh, our assigner does. Uh, if you happen to be affiliated with any kind of school. Uh, you know, which happens in the pink and white a lot. You know, we'll get we'll get our assignments, and then lo and behold, you're at this day at this time, and oh my goodness, here's a school that you know I went to. Right. 
And so Kelly has to make all kinds of adjustments during those tournaments. But uh, there's a funny, funny story about conflict of interest that uh, if you want me to tell it, I'll tell it. But if not, if we're short of time, we'll we'll move on. You can you can definitely give the nutshell version, and you don't have to mention the school's All names. Right. But we, it is uh, pretty funny. Several years ago, was at a, a two schools or one school east of here, highly uh, competitive, uh, didn't like each other really, and I had called a blocking foul on uh, one of the better players of Coach A. Coach A goes ballistic, literally, hands in the air, stomping, yelling, how can you call that, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I stepped down to him, had my hands down around my waist, said, Coach, I hear you, what what you got? And he's still just going on and on. Well, we go down and we're administering the free throws. I'm standing in front of the other coach, Coach B, and he steps up and whispers in my ear, are you going to let him talk to you that way? And jokingly, trying to lighten the moment, I looked at him and I said, he's not bothering me. Do you know who I'm married to? Trying to lighten the mood. Right, right. (laughs) We shoot the free throws. We go back down the other end, have another foul. Uh, I'm in the lead position, so I'm administering the foul. And I see Coach A and Coach B standing there at half court, head to head, just talking. And it was obvious that they were talking about me. And so the next dead ball, Coach A comes to me and said, what did you tell him, Coach B? I said, "What do you, I don't know what you're talking about. He says, your wife works here at this school. Why am I officiating this game if your wife works at this school? I said, Coach, I, I never said my wife. I was joking saying you weren't bothering me with your tirade because of who I'm married to, which has been 37 years now. Yes, so, yes. Uh, conflict of interest. Uh, Coach B thought my wife worked at that school. What was I doing? He officiating took that, that game. It, he, he took it and <laughs> ran with it. <laughs> to take this conflict of interest a little bit further, I we just finished our state championships in football this past weekend, and I'm involved with one of the fellows at the state office in making the postseason assignments, and we are very aware of. We try to make sure if we've got a St. Louis school playing a Kansas City school. We have no officials from either area on that game. We'll bring a crew from southwest or southeast or the central part of the state, and we do that all the way through the playoffs. And we also try to make sure that, if at all possible, they haven't seen any of these schools in the regular season or in the playoffs. So we we try to make sure that there is no conflict of interest on, on, those, on the level of those games. I think that's that's wise, definitely wise. All right, so let's um, let's talk about this one. This was an interesting one from Texas. Um, so you're heading out the door to take the field or the court. It can go with any sport. Uh, you see your officiating partner take a drink of something he probably shouldn't be drinking before a contest. Uh, you confront him, and he says, well, it calms my nerves. It's not much. Just calm down. It calms my nerves. Let's go officiate. What do you do? Well, I can truthfully say in 47 years of high school and over 40 of college, I never had that situation happen. How I would have handled it, I I, I probably would have not allowed that official to work the game, gone to the administration if I needed to, done what I needed to do, but there's no place in sport for that in officiating. And so uh, I'm, I'm glad I never had that situation occur. 
That is a tough one from <laughs> the standpoint of, you know, we're getting ready to step on the court. Uh, we've got a two-man crew. Uh, you know, I, I sure don't want to pass any judgments on a on, on an individual, uh, but I would be greatly concerned that that official would step on the court. And, you know, we, we have um, an image to uphold, and if you're – administering a free throw or happen to be talking to a player or a coach and they smell, uh, you know, alcohol on your breath before a game or during the game, uh, there again, you have tarnished, uh, the reputation of officials. And I, I'm just going to be honest with you. That's a, that's a tough one. I would be tempted. Like coach Emery said, uh, you're not stepping on the floor. Right. Um, you know, is one sip going to impair, you know, your judgment in that, uh, probably not, but it goes beyond, you know, your judgment uh, on the court. It goes to what you're portraying uh, when you step on the court with, with young men and women or, or and coaches as to, you know, smelling alcohol in your breath. I would be tempted as one, especially, um, well, I say especially, I would be tempted to one say you're, you're not going to work this game. I'll tell an administrator and they will decide. I mean, I can't tell you you're not going to work this game, but I can. Yeah, you can report it. Report it to an administrator and then yeah. that administrator. And you're almost doing that official a favor. I mean, the way I look at it is, you know, this did happen in Texas, and I'm not saying that Texas fans drive officials to drink. That is definitely <laughs> what I want to say. But what I do want to say is, uh, are you in the right profession? If you need alcohol to calm your nerves, maybe you might not have the coping skills needed to be an official, which I think that that is a characteristic. Not, not just everybody can be an official. You've got to have a certain skill set um, and some coping skills to be able to handle stressful situations, no matter where it is. And and maybe that is the conversation. I'm going to do you a favor if you're not ready for that. I, you know, that it, there's going to be people out there that I think would would disagree and say, it's one sip, get over it, let's get out and call the game. But I, I do think in the long run, um, it does compromise the integrity of the of the yeah, profession. I would agree. It definitely does. All right. So squeaky wheel, get the grease. That's the next one. All right. This was actually sent in by our listener. Do coaches that continually talk to officials make a difference or the ones that maybe don't? They let you do your job and, and every once in a while address. You know, you had a Hall of Fame coach, you said earlier, address, you know, um, and you listen to that coach. So do the or or do you sometimes just want a coach to shut up and so subconsciously you start altering um your patterns of thought because they are nagging you i guess uh what what is it that do you try to block all of that out is there a certain style of coach that um gets a little bit more attention the coach that continually um is is talking is is in your ear Eventually, I think the human nature part of it, you just kind of tune them out. Uh, you listen to what's important that they have to say, but the rest of it, you just kind of tone it out. The coach that's that kind of leaves you alone, lets you officiate, doesn't say much, except when he's got a legitimate question, those are the ones you really listen to. Um, but the coaches that just complain about everything, you just eventually, you just don't pay much. You just don't get desynthesized from yeah. their voice. Yeah. yeah. You just don't listen to them. Mm -hmm. um, you don't necessarily get, you know, get go back at them or anything like that or, 
or you just tune them out and let them uh, let them vent. Right. And some coaches do like to talk a lot. It, it's not that they're that they're complaining to you. You just happen to be standing there in front of them, and they just they just like to talk because right. they're they're coaching and they're and, and you your know, adrenaline's you know. pumping. I mean, yeah. you know, they're they've got uh, I had lots a coach to say. one time. Uh, <laughs> I was uh, years ago, early part of my college career when I worked on a wing. I wasn't the white hat at that time, and this coach would continually talk about his players. He'd say, did you see that block he made? That was horrible. He's never going to play for me again. And you just, you just nod your head and go on. You're not going to disagree with him, but you're not going to wholeheartedly agree with him. And so you got to let coaches. Uh, uh, coaches are going are to talk to officials, and you have to realize that, that, and that's just part of the game, and you just need to be able to handle it. And the young officials sometimes don't know how to do that, until they've been out there and matured and and been there a long time, then they learn that. So. And sometimes I think a, a, young officials may take it more personally. Oh, definitely. It, and they don't realize that some a lot of times people are talking to the stripes, not necessarily you individually That's as correct. a person. And you have to learn that. And and unfortunately, you learn it by by on the job training. You <laughs> learn it by being out there. In yeah, in basketball, we. Uh... Uh, you know, we try to encourage people, unless a coach asks you a specific question, we, you know, we don't, we don't get into a dialogue with a coach that, you know, wants to talk about something. And so I won't ignore a coach. Uh, you know, you know, it's just human decency not to ignore a coach. Uh, but until he asks or she asks me a specific question about uh, an event that happened on the floor, I don't have a lot of dialogue with a coach, but I will answer a question. Uh, but everything else is, as Coach Emery said, that are just statements, that are just comments about, are you going to let them play football tonight? Uh, well, uh, no, I'm not going to respond to that. Right. Uh, the foul count was seven to six, and so it's, it's pretty pretty even. Uh, but I will always try to, to respect a, I won't try. I will respect a coach when he asks me a question I'll give a direct, you know, sure. what I saw, uh, what I, uh, you know, what I saw, what I heard, and uh, but just comments. You'd co- you'll comb their hair a little bit. Comb their hair. Let <laughs> right. it, sometimes coaches just want to be heard. You know, some of the ones that don't co- talk constantly, sometimes they just, you know, come over here, listen to me for a minute, and then let's move exactly. on. And you got to go next play again, right? So it's interesting that you brought up the foul count because that is the next, um, the next question. This was actually um, sent in as well by a listener. Does the foul count matter to officials? And, you know, let's say the foul count is 7-1 in basketball. And the coach is pointing that out. Um, you know, should you care about the foul count? I know what your answer will be. Um, but is there ever a time in human nature where you go, yeah, it is a little strange that, you know, this team has fouled seven times and this team only won? In, in basketball, typically when there is a despair, uh, you know, a difference between uh, fouls is one team's playing zone and the team that's got seven fouls is playing man to man. They're aggressive. And so hopefully most coaches will understand that, yeah, we're going to have more fouls because we're man to man. The other team is sitting back in a zone. Uh, and so, but does it matter to us as officials? No, we're not going to change the way we call because of a foul count of seven to one. 
we are going to have a conversation about let's make sure we don't miss one uh, down here on this end. You know, the, the team that's got the one foul, let's just make sure, uh, you know, we're not going to look for something, but let's make sure we don't miss something. Uh, but it's seven to one. Uh, no, coach, you're, you're playing man to man, and that's just part of the game. You're going to have more fouls. Right. Sometimes in football, the, the the amount of fouls that are called, one team may not be as as well poised, and they commit a lot of little uh, piddly fouls, like encroachment and illegal procedures, and they're moving before the snap, and those type things. And so that's going to uh, the other team is a little bit uh, more more poised, and so that'll that'll vary the foul count, but oftentimes. The major fouls tend to stay pretty pretty close. Yeah, often. I think so. And I, you know, and I, I do see sometimes, you know, you're it, it, there is a difference, a, le- a level too of aggressiveness. Maybe they're not ready for that pace, or it's an overmatched team. Um, but it is it is interesting because you hear you do hear that um, you do hear that, and you could parallel that too. You know, what, you know, how, they're holding, they're holding all of the time. They're holding, you know, you get you can parallel that to to, to football as well. Um, got to call the game and sometimes there is uh statistically if you will um some just some uneven unlevel stats all right well we also want to thank craig lehman with shelter insurance uh sponsoring this show and springfield yard cards um you know these scenarios i think are 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 important to visit you've already kind of discussed that you do these as um you know officiating crews and uh, as as a former coach, as a broadcaster that is still in a gym every night, thank you for that. I appreciate that, and I thank you for being that diligent and, and being that preventative. Um, officials don't just show up and call the game. There's so much uh, prep work into it, and I just want you to know that that's valued, and I, I thank you all for, for that very much, and I thank you for being here tonight and sharing your insights. Thank you. Thank I you. will say this. If you're a young man out there listening and you've played the game, and you're not coaching, and now you're just just a fan, give give officiating a try. We desperately need officials in all our sports. So get a hold of somebody that can help you get started, and we'd love to have you. Yes, anybody out there. If you, uh, you, know, if, if you enjoyed the game, male, female, whatever sport, try to stay I involved. Would, I would say for college students, there is no better – job while you're in college than officiating they're the you, highest paid people in the gym you pick oh. the nights you want to work how many games you want to work and uh it beats any part-time job you'll find anywhere that's fantastic and we've found that we've had a lot of students and once they graduate and they leave and they go to another area and i get letters from them and emails saying hey I, thanks for getting me started i've continued that's right well, so, keep it up, guys. I appreciate it. Emery Dilday, thank you so much, Mike Dimbo, for being here. We're going to move into our post-game talk sponsored by Story Construction. Story Construction, high-quality service for all of your commercial industrial projects. Go to story.com, S-T-O-R-E-E.com. We're going to continue with Kent Thomas and Todd Mercer next week on our Sports Ethics Series. That's going to be a good one. And coming up later in the month, we have Ada Barnes from Arizona Women's Basketball. So now for our post-game talk. I was recently asked to give a challenge on gratitude. I gave that challenge last week, and we talked about the difference between being grateful and expressing gratitude. 
I'm extremely grateful for the coaches in my life, sports and life coaches. Expressing gratitude is extremely important, and I challenge you once again to reach out to those that have mentored you and given you guidance and express your gratitude. But this week, I'm going to challenge you to be on the other end of that and never hesitate to guide someone or give them that advice that they need. Maybe it won't be through words. Maybe it won't be through actions. But have that continuation and that cycle and give back to others. Take a moment and recognize when someone may need a little extra nudge or some encouragement. It will go a long way and they will remember the impact that you had on them. That's how champions do it. And that's how I ask you to reach out and do it. As I ask you each and every week, be a good human. Live your life like a champion. Live like a human champion. This is Jenny Hopkins, and this has been A Coach's Perspective.